A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So I went to the Mexican restaurant to get a big bowl of menudo. Then I went to the other Mexican restaurant to get a big bowl of pozole. Then I went to the Chinese restaurant to get a big bowl of hot and sour soup. It's cold and it's wet. And I like brothy, warm things because they make my heart tingle and make me forget about my soccer Sunday when I learned that Jurgen Klopp is not invincible after all. Jurgen Klopp had a great quote for uh, for Alan Pardew after the game. Very congratulatory. He said, uh, let's see here. Where is this? Essen Scheiße Silber Fuchs, which translates uh, from German to English as great game, Silver Fox. Jurgen Klopp unbeaten no more. Alan Pardew has got that silver mojo when he heads to Merseyside. My name is Nate Abaurea. I am doing wonderfully. I hope you are doing wonderfully as well. We've got a wonderful show for you. How many more times can I say the word wonderful? Daniel Taylor, the chief football writer for The Guardian and The Observer, is going to be with us. And we're going to be talking all about his new book on Brian Clough, one of my favorite human beings in the history of soccer. And the book is all about Brian Clough's time with Nottingham Forest. It's entitled I Believe in Miracles. So we'll talk with Daniel all about that book that is due to be released later this week. And also a documentary based on that book is going to be released in the UK on DVD this week as well. Leicester City for the Premier League title. What do you say, Mr. Ranieri? How about you now? Leicester City in third place, a point off the top. Would you believe it? The North London dud in the Premier League this week. And I don't, I don't want to say the North London derby was a dud, the 1-1 draw between Arsenal and Tottenham. But after the way that yours truly hyped that thing up back on Thursday and Friday with my trip down North London derby memory lane, I feel like I just set that thing up for failure. Not a bad game, but what do you know? Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy being linked to Real Madrid and Barcelona now. I'll believe anything. That's right. Just tell me. Just throw it up there. TMZ has basically invaded the world footballing press over the last year or so in regards to these transfers. So yeah, Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy are heading to Real Madrid and Barcelona in the uh, January transfer window. I got over Liverpool losing to Crystal Palace again, the third straight time in the league that Liverpool have lost to Crystal Palace. And I enjoyed some MLS Cup playoffs, but all my Canadians are gone. I'm shedding a tear for Canada. Oh, we'll miss you. But hey, Canadian soccer fans, you got the Ottawa Fury in the North American Soccer League final against the New York Cosmos. So come on, you Fury. Dallas 
and Portland and New York Red Bulls in Columbus in the MLS Cup playoffs semifinals. We're back with Daniel Taylor after this right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Stay tuned. Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. You're listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barrea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Where are you from, Megs? Just around. Our guest in this edition of World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network is the chief football writer for The Guardian and The Observer. And his new book, all about the great Brian Clough and Nottingham Forest, is entitled I Believe in Miracles. Daniel Taylor, thank you so much for being with us, sir. Pleasure. Nice to be with you. So before we, we dive deep into the book itself, which uh, is due to be released later this week, tell us about the title of this thing, I Believe in Miracles. Yeah, well, this is this basically is uh, Johnny Owen's film that was out in the cinemas um, a few weeks ago. It was, it was, I mean, effectively his title. The book, the book has taken the film's title. But there's a, there is a slight problem here because I believe in miracle. There, there are two. There are two songs. There's the one that we've gone for, which is the Jackson Sisters, which is you know one of the great sort of soul classic tracks. And there's the not quite a good hot chocolate one over here, which. Um, it's unfortunately a few people have got them muddled up, but we, we, we um, you know, it's made for a great soundtrack. There's a soundtrack with a film that's come out as well, it's, and Johnny's a big soul fan, he DJs as well, and um, it, it really has some great tracks on it. Well, Daniel, talk a little bit about the the conjunction of of the documentary and and your book. Well, yeah, as I say, Johnny Owen is the the filmmaker. Um, he, he um, he's a Cardiff City fan, but he moved to Nottingham uh, a few years ago, and basically someone suggested to him that if he wanted to make a great film about football, which is his love, and a football documentary, which sports document or film documentary seems to be all the rage at the moment. You know, we've got we've got we've had Senna recently, we've had Gascoigne, um, the, the Ronaldo one as well, which I saw the other night, and you know they they seem to be quite popular at the moment. And Johnny, so Johnny spent two years making this film got all the players that played in the two European Cup winning teams to talk. Um, he's found some incredible sort of rare footage, put it all together, produced a great film, incredible reviews. And basically, I, I didn't know Johnny until sort of earlier this year, and he got in touch with me. I mean, I'm, I'm a Nottingham Forest supporter, and I think he, he found that out. And obviously, with me being a journalist, he sort of wanted to touch base. And then someone had the idea of, um, you know, basically, because, because everything gone so quickly and people talking about a soundtrack and then someone had the idea for a book and I suppose I was probably you know in a, in a good position to do that and from there everything really sort of took off very quickly. Well let's talk about the uh, the subject of this whole thing and that is of course the uh, the great Brian Clough and uh, this is a quite quite the open-ended question but what made the genius of of Brian Clough for you <laughs> I mean the, the the fascinating genius of Clough? Well, I mean, even his son Nigel said to me recently, he said, you know, he'd be a fascinating case for psychologists, really, because <laughs> you, you, could, you could never, ever, he, he, you couldn't pigeonhole him in any way, shape or form. You could never tell what mood he was going to be in. Um, yeah, I mean, he had, he had great charm in some ways, and in other ways, the, the players would be, I mean, they resent it when people say that they were terrified of him, and you know, they, they, they take umbrage to that, and they say, well, how can they have played such great, expansive flowing football if they were terrified of the manager but equally he did rule by an element of fear um, but equally he could make them you know he could I think that Nigel Clough summed it up brilliantly he said he can make you feel even an inch tall or he can make you feel ten foot tall and obviously when he made you feel ten foot tall 
people just John Robertson said, you know, he just wanted to get that ball and he wanted to play for it and he actually looked forward to Saturdays because he, he wanted to, you know, Brian Clough used to do this little sort of sort of um, perfection sign to him, you know, a little circle with his fingers and that was what John Robertson craved, you know, it was just, you know, basically it was his drug to get that sign. So, so that tells you a little bit about the, the power the man had, but I mean, in terms of the, the Forest story, just and going back to the title, I believe in miracles, I mean, when he took over Forest, they were 13th in, in what would have been the the equivalent to the championship in 1975. Um, they were getting crowds of below 8,000. One of the committee members had described them as, as the least progressive football club in the country, and they were just, you know, just a club going nowhere, basically, in a tatty football stadium. And bit of a, the East Midlands was a bit of a football backwater. And then obviously within five five years, that team's won promotion, won the, the equivalent of the Premier League, then won two Champions League equivalents, the European Cup in succession, won the European Super Cup beating Barcelona, gone 42 matches unbeaten, um, just, you know, toppled one of the great Liverpool teams there ever was. Um, I think they played 10 games against Liverpool and didn't concede a goal in eight of them. So, you know, this is a team where basically... I mean, they finished 16th in the championship in his first season, and it was five of the same players were winning the European Cup five years later. So, so his his genius in the football sense is certainly unquestionable. I would say. Well, Daniel, when you talk about 16th in in the second division and these crowds of yeah. of under 8,000 at a, at a rundown ground, it it ties it back to something about Clough that that is truly special, and that is how much he embraced challenge how much he embraced a, a grand challenge going well if there's any man on the face of the earth that's going to be able to accomplish something with, with this dire situation it's going to be me talk about that a little bit about how his attitude was towards very very challenging situations well the other thing as well is that is that when he went to forest his reputation was as low as it had been um He'd won the league with Derby County. That was another club that he, he had basically found in the old second division. He got their promotion and then, and then they'd won the league as well. And they got to the semi-finals of the European Cup where where I think the best way of describing it is there was some highly suspicious refereeing in the semi-finals that knocked them out against Juventus, which is something that he always always stayed with him. Um, so he, after after Derby, which he left, you know, he left them in a cloud. He left them under a cloud. Sorry, they went to Brighton, had a very unsatisfactory stay there. Then he had the, the infamous time at Leeds United, that lasted only 44 days. So he's so basically he'd left he'd left three clubs in bad circumstances, all in quite quick succession, and he was considered toxic. You know, he, he was. I mean, he was he was always on on television and he was incredibly telegenic and people would sort of stop whatever they're doing to listen to him but but he was I suppose the only way I could draw a comparison with it now is kind of Mourinho when he when he's kind of going through his his um his less um um how can I put it um well when when <laughs> when Mourinho's not been the happy one um <laughs> you know he you know I think you know what I'm getting at basically but yeah you know, he, he was considered they, you know, uh, uh, there was a, there was people knew that there was a bit of genius in there, but there was you're weighing up the good and the bad, and at that point, it was a very kind of tightly tight decision, and that's, and that's why he ended up at a club that was going nowhere in the first in the old second division because obviously the clubs in the first division didn't want to touch him, and he was there's a famous interview here where, where he was on Yorkshire Television on the night he was sacked at Leeds, and the presenter basically says to him. He was going to touch you with a barge pole now, so that was his reputation at that time. 
but he always backed himself. You know, he, he had the most incredible Muhammad Ali style ego, and he always backed himself to um, to deliver great football teams that would play football the way he wanted it to be played, which was on the ground, passing, passing movement, um, attacking with pace. Um, he was ahead of his time in some ways. Forest were one of the few teams that sort of played counter-attacking football back then, which obviously everybody does now, but back then it wasn't quite so um, quite so widely spread. You know, you played with attacking full-backs, which Jose Mourinho did the forward to the book, and Mourinho said it's the, the first time he's ever seen a team that played with attacking full-backs was, was the Forest side. So, so he, always, he always had that incredible belief, and um, even when even when other people viewed him as, you know, someone that they couldn't touch with a basketball, to use that quote, you know, he he backed himself basically, and he and he considered himself to be the, the you know, to to use his famous quote, which everyone loves. You know, he he wouldn't say he was the best, but he was in the top one. <laughs> that is such a classic right there. And it, we'll, we'll talk on the other side of this break about that, that terminology that was really popularized during the, the Brian Clough time at, at Nottingham Forest. That is champagne football. And we'll talk about Jose Mourinho, who contributed uh, greatly to this book with, uh, with the foreword. And how a lot of people say that without Brian Clough, there, there's no Jose Mourinho. When you look historically at football managers, their relationships with the media, the way that they are... Uh, loathed and also beloved equally and and the the toxicity that can go with a character like Jose Mourinho and how Jose has so many roots with a man like Brian Clough. Daniel Taylor is our guest. The book is I Believe in Miracles. Cannot wait to keep this conversation going. Stay with us, please. Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. It's World Soccer Talk Radio. Listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Pretty good. Pretty damn good, that's Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Nate Abaurea. Tweet me at NateWST. Get a hold of all of us at World Soccer Talk. And please leave us a review on iTunes when you get a chance. Daniel Taylor is our guest in this edition of the show, talking all about his new book on Brian Clough and Nottingham Forest, entitled I Believe in Miracles. Daniel, let's pick up right where we left off, the, the foreword to this book was written by one Jose Mourinho. And I, I've said for a long time, ever since I had the, the great pleasure of learning about the legacy of Brian Clough, I said, wow, it, it almost seems like without this guy, there would be no Jose Mourinho, the, the relationship with the media, the relationship with players. There's, there's some very interesting parallels. Talk about the, the connection between these two when you look at football managers historically and perhaps Jose's interest in, in Brian Clough. Yeah, well, he was very interested in him. He, he was 16 when Forrest won the first European Cup, so at that age, you know, he described himself as football mad, and 17, obviously, the year afterwards. Um, when I went to see him, he, he was fantastic. To it, was, it was a great insight into Jose the man, um, starting off with the moment you go through the door into his office, where even even before you, it's kind of an L shape, and even before you turn the corner into into where his desk is, there were two life-size cardboard cutouts of Mourinho you have to kind of negotiate. And there's, I mean, it, it is, 
and I, I, it is essentially a Mourinho shrine. His office is, you know, there's a coffee table with Mourinho books on one side, and there's you know, a Mourinho gallery on the other side. You know, it's quite quite interesting to be in there. Basically, and I think it was a Mourinho doll as well, which was so. It's, it was great fun being there, and, and he was he was absolutely fantastic. It was earlier in the season, so. That, Maybe there wasn't as much pressure as there was now. I'm not sure I'd, I'd probably get him to be as generous with his time as he was, but he, he spoke for he spoke for a long time. He loved that Nottingham Forest team. Um, as I say, he was 16 and 17, and basically grew up. You know, he remembered all the names of the players. He remembered the way they played, and he told this great story about when he started work at Barcelona. It was Euro '96, and there was some, Nottingham Forest were actually hosting some of some of the games and he went to one of the games but what he actually did was he was so kind of interested in the Clough and Forest story he um, he got an early flight so he could get to Nottingham in the morning basically um, well he actually sorry he, he flew into London then he got the train up so, so he was there early basically walked from the train station to Nottingham city centre walked up to the castle so they touched the Robin Hood statue and then he walked all the way from from Nottingham Castle which down to the uh, to the forest ground, which is quite a considerable walk. It's probably about two miles, but he just wanted to kind of soak in the. He wanted to sort of, you know, feel the feel the vibe, if want to a better word, of this European Cup winning city. And basically, he said, you know, he got to the ground, and he said his his um, his overall impression was, you know, I leave out the swear words, but it was all the lines of bloody hell. You know, can can you um, can you believe this 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 club a club this size has won the. European Cup twice because you know you go to you go to Real Madrid or Manchester United or Barcelona you can feel it in the air you know you know you're somewhere special. Whereas Forest it, it's a nice ground it's it's got a picturesque setting on the on the River Trent but it's it's really not a place where you would imagine you'd find a double European Cup winning side. Um, and I think he 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 said that he didn't believe in miracles but he understood why why it was in the title and. He talks glowingly. Um, I think he sees some similarities between himself and Clough. Um, one of the interesting things was he, he he had a clip of one of Brian Clough's interviews on his phone, um, which he which he played to much amusement, where Clough is kind of verbally sparring with with John Motson on the BBC and pretty much taking John Motson apart. And Cluffy loved that. He, you know, he knew the quotes off by heart. So he'd obviously, I wouldn't say studied him, but but he, he, he clearly was one of his specialist subjects. Well, Daniel, I, I know the interview that you're referencing quite well. I've, I've watched it dozens of times myself. I, I, still, get yeah. gig, I still get giggly when I, when I watch it. Yeah. I've seen it probably 30-something times. And I, I, I tie this back to, to Jose and, and other, even other managers that, that have kind of embraced this sparring match, this permanent sparring match with the media where they're treated like the media's darling some days, then they're hated and, and loathed by the media the next. And it's this constant ball-and-chain kind of lifestyle with... With, uh, with being a football manager and having this relationship with the media. And that didn't really exist before Brian Clough. And talk about that as far as Clough's ideas of, hey, I'm, I'm going to be outside the box here. I'm going to take John Motson to task here on the BBC. I mean, talk about how groundbreaking that was for a football manager to, yeah. to have that attitude with the media. Well, I mean, I've spoken to plenty of the journalists who, who used to club a Clough on a daily basis. And, I mean, they would literally sit outside his office for hours um, Panicking about what kind of mood he'd be in, not knowing whether he'd, t- you know, sometimes he'd, he'd turn up time to clear off. Other times he'd invite them in, and within five minutes, I mean, Brian Clough was so good at, at knowing what the newspapers wanted, he would actually sometimes tell them what the intro was, and you know, invariably he'd be correct. You know, he, he knew exactly what the line was in every story. 
you know, he knew when to deliver it. He was incredibly outspoken. Um, but he also made incredible sense, and people people loved to read him. People loved to watch him on t- on television. He was just he was just sort of a, this incredibly sort of telegenic kind of presence, incredibly mesmerising when he was on the screen. You know, I mean, some of the interviews he he's done, the, the one with John Motson. I mean, to quote Maria, Maria says he, he sits there, I think, looking like he's the president. The one where he sat by Leeds United. Can you imagine a modern day manager who's just been sat by one of the biggest clubs in England? Going on television that that day and basically absolutely taking down Don Revy, the, you know the equivalent of being the manager. Um, it just it just unheard of now, and unfortunately, we live in this kind of PR protected world where managers are told what to say in advance, and um, if, if if they don't say it, they'll pretend they haven't seen it. Whereas Clough didn't, you know, Clough would never have a press officer or someone whispering in his ear what he should say. And he invariably did it, did it absolutely brilliantly. Uh, what I'd like to say about Mourinho, when your point earlier, just that I've spoken to a lot of the Forest players about this, and certainly in his first spell at Chelsea, they saw a lot of similarities. You know, when he when he was sitting there telling everyone that he was a special one, and there was a great deal of of bragging, I suppose, for want of a better word. But but he also had that he also had that charisma where he get he could get away with it a lot. Maybe we're not seeing that quite so much on his second spell, where where. You know, he came back saying that he was going to be the happy one, and we we saw that for six months or so. But you know, it's it's descended into um, something a bit a bit a bit less um, pleasant, um, unfortunately. You know, with all the referees and you know, banned from the stadium, etc. You know, Clough would get himself into trouble occasionally, and I, you know, there are similarities, but equally, Clough maybe had a little bit more humour than, than we've seen from Jose recently. Well, with all the stuff that you bring up uh, about Brian Clough, Daniel, and, and in regards to his relationship with the media, in regards to his, his no-holds-barred style, his wit, his creativity, and, and you also talked a little bit earlier in the show about the time that, that preceded his, his reign at Nottingham Forest. We all know about the 44 days at Leeds. We know about how he, he fell out at, at Derby County, the, the bizarre stay at Brighton, and, and tying it back to, to his attitude and who he was as a human being. Are some of these things that we love about Brian Clough perhaps the reasons why he was never given a chance to, to manage England? Were, were they fearful to give the keys uh, to, to a man like this? Well, they were definitely fearful, and you can't blame them, to be honest, when you see that the way he <laughs> talked about the previous England manager. I mean, when Clough went in for his interview at the Football Association headquarters, the first thing he did was basically... Tell um, there was a picture on the wall of the England team, and he told the FA secretary that the, that the new England kit was um, was um, was disgusting. I think the word was used. You know, so so even even before he goes into the biggest interview of his life, you've, you've got this guy basically berating the FA, the people that he wants to become his employers, telling telling them where they've gone wrong. So you can see why they were, you know, why they probably why they did go for the slightly easier option in Ron Greenwood. Was that a mistake? I mean, as a Nottingham Forest support, I'm delighted they did that, and, and uh, because obviously the, the European Cups followed then. But in terms of for England, he was certain that the, all the newspapers were running polls. He was miles ahead in terms of popularity. The, the journalists wanted him for whatever that's worth, but the, but more importantly, the public did as well. So, so it was always one of those um, classic England mistakes, I suppose, for a better word, and. What then happened was in the, in the next game after not getting the job, Nottingham Forest went to Manchester United at Old Trafford, 
beat them 4-0 at Old Trafford, which was at that time the heaviest league defeat Manchester United had since, since the war. And, I think, and you can find that, you can find a clip of that on YouTube and it's described as a lesson in football. And it's just, you know, a classic way of Clough responding to not getting an England job. You know, his team then put on what, what the commentator Barry Davis described as the best performance he'd seen for years. So, I mean, I suppose it's Nottingham Forest gain and potentially England's loss. Daniel, we've got 60 seconds before we got to head to another break here, and I think a perfect way to wrap this up is something to, to ask you about something that I've actually heard. It's funny to call these rumors because they're, you know, 30 coming out. They're, they're, they're decades old. But were there big clubs in Europe that after after what Brian Clough and Nottingham Forest did, were there big clubs in Europe that, that coveted him as, as their manager but then backed out out of the, kind of the same principles of, of why, why England backed out? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, there, there were Wales came very close to getting him. Wales wanted him, and he and he did want to have a stab at national management. Um, Manchester United wanted him before Ron Atkinson, and I'm not sure, quite sure why that never happened. But um, it did. I mean, if that was now, if if that was a manager now, you, you, all, all the you know the Real Madrids, the the Barcelona, they'd, they'd all come in for him. But maybe it was a little bit different then. And the, I don't I don't think I've ever heard that. You know, any of the kind of European superpowers there, but also, I suppose it was a little bit of a different era then, and I don't, I don't really believe that he he had any great ambitions to working abroad either. Um, well, I can't, I can't yeah. help Daniel. I can't help Daniel, but think of of Brian Clough managing Wales uh, at the at the European yeah, Championships yeah, in yeah. 2016. Let's let's get Cluffy for Wales. I love it. Daniel Taylor <laughs> with us here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Continuing this conversation on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. You're listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. But I'm now the president of everybody. El Clasico is nearing, so it's time to start thinking about where you will be watching the biggest match of the year between Real Madrid and Barcelona. If you're in the U.S., the game is being shown exclusively on BN Sports and BN Sports Español. But if you don't get BN Sports on your cable or satellite, or you're a cord cutter, you can still watch the game live or on demand with Fubo TV. Fubo TV, a completely legal streaming service that features tons of games each week from La Liga, Major League Soccer, Liga MX, Serie A, the English Championship, Capital One Cup, and more. You get BN Sports, BN Sports Espanol, Goal TV, Univision Deportes, Unamas, and Fusion. Plus, Fubo TV now features DVR functionality. The streaming service works on your computer, smartphone, tablet, Roku, Amazon Fire, and now the new Apple TV. And for World Soccer Talk radio listeners, sign up for a 24-hour trial today at worldsoccertalk.com slash FuboTV. That's F-U-B-O-T-V. And if you like what you see on that 24-hour free trial, lock in the low $6.99 monthly rate today. With FuboTV, you get the best of live soccer in one place. Sign up today, again, at worldsoccertalk.com slash FuboTV. 
TV. My name is Nate Abarea. This is World Soccer Talk Radio right here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Tweet me at NateWST. Tweet all of us at World Soccer Talk at Sports Byline USA for updates on the show. iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. And, of course, the website that you've heard a little bit about, worldsoccertalk.com. Leave us a review on iTunes when you get a chance. Daniel Taylor, the chief football writer for The Guardian and The Observer, is with us in this edition of the show talking all about his new book, I Believe in Miracles, all about Brian Clough and Nottingham Forest. Daniel, I want to talk with you now about the players in in these European Cup winning sides at at Nottingham Forest that that tackled just these these insurmountable odds. Uh, call it call it a miracle. Call it a Cinderella story. The players are, are so important in in this tale. And and there's one that I want to start with, and it's Viv Anderson, who we've heard some stories about the horrible racial abuse uh, that Anderson had to go through in in the early 1980s and and throughout his footballing career. And what I'm curious about is how Brian Clough and and his consigliere character in, in his footballing managerial career, uh, Peter Taylor, how Clough and Taylor went about making sure that Anderson was protected as, as one of their Nottingham Forest players. Well, it was, a, it was a tough school, um, and I think I don't think how they how they did it back then, which was I mean, it was more when he was coming through, really, which was mid mid nineteen seventies. So I don't think um, you know forty years later that their techniques of then could work now, basically. Um, but I mean, there was one game, for example, at Carlisle, which is um, very much in the north of England, and. Um, David, Viv Anderson was sort of doing his warm-ups, running down the touchdown, and there were bananas being thrown at him from the Carlisle fans. And, and basically, he came back and sat in the dugout because he didn't want to carry on doing it. And I think Brian Clough looked over to him and said, you know, what, what are you doing? And basically, Viv Anderson said, well, they're, ch- they're chucking bananas at me. And Brian Clough basically said, well, well, bring me one. You know, because there was no... There was no um, I can't put it. There was, there was there was no outward sympathy in terms of those things, but he basically want, the, the message was there, and it's not. It's kind of it, it, it sounds almost like careless language if you apply it to now game. But it, back then, it was kind of him, his way of saying you need to get basically go out there and coming back to the dugout is a sign of weakness, effectively. And I want you back out there and facing them down, essentially. So, but obviously the the. Um, <laughs> I think if if basically a manager sort of used those words now, I think I think people wouldn't really appreciate it as, as maybe they did back then. But he, um, I mean, he turned Viv Anderson from a very raw, um, unfancied defender who, who'd been released by Manchester United and was um, working as a printer basically when he when he got a trial at Forest. He turned him into the first black footballer to play for England. And um, you know, Viv, Viv Anderson is now a pioneer, really, in, in terms of how he's seen and the, the impact he had. Um, I've spoken to Viv about this many times, and he, he, he's not really what I would say is a political guy. He, 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 he's never really been one for, for for great speeches about about that. He, you know, he saw himself as a footballer first and foremost, and and, and he didn't really want. You know, if you, if you read his his autobiography, for example, he doesn't really. Want to talk? Want to dwell on the you know what kind of his skin is from out around? Fair, you know, fair play to him. But at that time, it was obviously a big, a big thing basically because there weren't that many black footballers. They, they did suffer from terrible racist abuse. One of the player that he beat to becoming the uh, the first black player to play for England was was um, 
saw Regis, who basically, you know, received a bullet in the post. So that is the kind of era we're talking about. There, there were groups at the National Front at that time who really didn't want black players playing for England. You know, you'd get people handing out leaflets outside football grounds. So, you know, eventually, through what was a tough school, and as I say, telling a player to go back out there and face down the racists, Clough, you know, through his, through his unique style, eventually turned with Anderson into a player who was strong enough to, and good enough to, to play for England. Daniel, there's so many players uh, that we could talk about from those those Nottingham Forest teams, and I'm sure you could you could reel off every single one of them uh, as a as a diehard Forest supporter yourself. But the three I actually want to ask you about right now it's it's the trio, it's the the, the Scottish trio uh, of Nottingham Forest of uh, John Robertson, Archie Gimmel, and uh, and Kenny Burns. Talk about the key of of this bizarre Scottish trio in Nottingham and and how how key they were to the success uh, at Nottingham Forest for Brian Clough as a manager. Well, John Robertson was, was the best player in that team for years, and this probably sums it up because, as I say, Forrester, they, they won the two European Cups. They're not actually even in the National Hall of Fame in England, where, where the teams that have won far less there are. And I think basically the players think that's probably because all the, all the publicity went to Brian Clough, and they kind of almost got ignored in it. But John Robertson scored the, the winning goal in the European Cup final. He, he set up one the year before in the, in the European Cup final. He was the best player in that team for three years. Peter Taylor, John uh, Brian Clough, sorry, used to used to call him the Picasso of our game. <laughs> the, the trainer Jimmy Gordon said that he'd seen that you know he, he was an old guy. He was he would he, he he's left us now, but he would have he would have actually turned hundred last week. Jimmy Gordon, he said he'd, he'd seen Stanley Matthews play, and he'd seen Tom Finney, and John Robertson had a bit of both, put something on top as well. So that, that's the level of play you're talking about. But equally, I'm sure the maybe some of your listeners right now thinking, you know, John Robertson, I've not really heard a great deal about him, but he was just, you know, incredibly talented left winger um, who basically Clough and Taylor turned from an overweight drifter who basically would just go out at the weekends and pretty much was a chain smoker and didn't really take care of himself and, you know, you'd admit all of this, but it essentially turned him into the, to the into what Martin O'Neill describes as the best player in New York for, for three or four seasons. So, so that's maybe an example of, of how that, the talent within that team, which is obvious in terms of what they won, is maybe slightly overlooked in terms of how, how they're remembered now. Um, you then got Kenny Burns, who was basically, when I, when I said earlier, Clough was toxic. I mean, Kenny Burns, when they signed him from Birmingham City, even the Birmingham chairman said to Clough, don't sign this guy, he's, he's, a, you know, he's a lunatic. He, he had the worst reputation in, in football. He... Um, he was a striker at that time. Clough signed him and without telling Kenny Burns, basically um, turned him into a centre-half without even letting him know. Just basically, the team sheet went up and he was playing centre-half. He won Football of the Year, that's what he said. <laughs> so, um, and Archie Gemmell, you know, fantastic footballer, one of Clough's favourites. They fell out because Clough didn't play him in the European Cup final and that maybe shows Clough's ruthless side because because Clough um, he actually never played for him again they had a huge row and Clough just got rid of him so you know like all football managers Ferguson Shankly you know all the greats Mourinho again you know they all have that ruthless side if, if needs be they, they were fantastic footballers I mean as you said earlier you could go through the whole team and one of them I like telling you that is, I mean Gary Bertels cost, cost um, Matthew Foss £2,000 and he was working as a carpet fitter when they signed him. 
and the team he played for, I mean, over, over here, is basically Sunday league football, so it's literally mates from the pub would play on a Sunday morning. You know, it's real sort of like everyone, everyone basically hung over from the night before. <laughs> and this is, this is, and basically, the, this is the guy who then basically goes on to play in two European Cup finals within four years. So they basically pulled someone off a park's pitch where, you know, given given his club two thousand pounds to come keep them sweet, and then and then essentially turned him into a player who won, I think he won European Young Footballer of the Year. So, so there's all sorts of these stories about Frank Clark, the left back, was a free transfer, and the only clubs that wanted to sign him were were in the fourth division. It was Hartley, Paul Darlington, and Doncaster Rovers. And essentially, two years later, he's he's got a European Cup under his belt. So, you know, there's, I mean, later on, they signed Trevor Francis, who was the first million-pound footballer, but that slightly distorts the general pattern of, of that club, which was that they were skinned, and so they had to make do with what they did. They didn't have their own training ground. It was basically a squelchy pitch by the side of the river where, you know, if you, it was basically full of anglers and people walking the dogs. Um, they didn't have any kind of great facilities. They had... They had a cheese and wine event every summer to, to try and raise a few quid from the local businesses, where they basically, you know, just put out a, put out a store selling cheese and a store selling wine, and, um, <laughs> and hope, hope, to, that, hope to raise a few quid, basically. And, you know, so they, they basically had a, they had a, because they were next to the river, they had a rodent problem. They had all mice and rats running around the ground, and they, rather than actually pay for pest control, their solution was to was to buy a cat. You know, they, 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 they were. They were essentially kind of a real kind of two bob outfit, and they, oh. and you know that team won the European Cup two years running. That's what makes it absolutely so so yeah. beautiful. I mean, there's, there's a great go 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 ahead, Daniel. No, no, I have to say, I mean, I'm I'm kind of laughing. You know, they laugh at themselves, but essentially they won it because they're fantastic footballers. You know, even though it was a bit of a scattered sort of brain system that they had and you know they used to they used to go and get a lunch in, in a greasy spoon cafe and eat chip cobs for the lunch and stuff but you know so there's all this side to it which is all kind of quite charming you know down to earth lads who you know some of them would get the bus to work and none of them were big time Charlies you know you've got Ronaldo's from getting on tonight I saw Ronaldo's from the other day and you know it's nicely put together film but you just you realise watching that how, how different footballers are these days in terms of you know, I think I probably prefer the old days where you could have a pint with the players and have a chat with them and, you know, you actually felt like you might be on the same wave with them rather than you were in the presence of royalty, basically. But my point my point was that these players, despite the fact that they were portrayed as a bit of a two-bob outfit, um, they won the European Cups by being incredibly talented footballers. Now, Daniel, I really appreciate you making that point. I was just going to say one of my favorite images uh, from from the documentary is is the Nottingham Forest side in in red track suits doing doing a, a series of calisthenics by the river as people are yeah. are as you said walking the dogs right by and they're they're just part of part of the town. It's absolutely incredible to think but, of that if, team. If you look if you look at their kit at that time, they, as I mentioned earlier about the Sunday League team, they just look like the classic Sunday League team that was just basically woken up. You know, they've been out till four in the morning drinking. <laughs> And the kit, the kits, none of it fits. You know, they've all got like odd socks on and stuff. And the the the, the training regime was just. I mean, basically, they used to do piggyback races. Clubs used to send them into fields of nettles <laughs> and just make them play hide and seek. You know, grown grown men play hide and seek. And you know, they they they, they hardly ever trained. They would get fit in pre-season. And again, I'm laughing, but it's ahead of his time because now everyone goes on about rest. Louis van Gaal talks about rest all the time. You know, the games will take you over. 
Whereas back in the 1970s and 1980s, people would run you until, you know, just flog you. Basically, it would be all about cross-country runs. And Cross way of doing it was completely different. Everyone thought he got it wrong. And, you know, the, um, the results were there to, to see, basically, at the end of the season. Well, Daniel, we've got about 90 seconds left here with you, and I, I, I want to talk to you about, uh, well, we'll have to push this to, uh, to another show, but the man who, who many people call the, the, the consigliere character, the confidant, the right-hand man, I speak, of course, of, uh, of Peter Taylor, and uh, some incredible stuff within the book, uh, really dissecting the relationship between uh, Peter Taylor and uh, Brian Clough, and who knows, there could be a book on, uh, on Peter Taylor uh, on the horizon, definitely would uh, look forward to something like that, but I have to ask you uh, to close this show out, Daniel, if Brian Clough were still alive today and, and you had the chance to ask him one question, what would that question be? Um, well, probably selfishly, as a Forest supporter, I probably would ask why, and this would sound incredibly spoiled, bearing in mind the joys that he gave to Nottingham. And, you know, Nottingham now, people used to know Nottingham as the city of Robin Hood, but, you know, I, I go abroad and tell people from Nottingham. And, they, and basically they'll say, you know, Robin Hood and Brian Clough, you know, so <laughs> it, it, it's completely changed Nottingham, the city, you know, the, the, they're actually talking about um, about giving Nottingham a new title as the City of Miracles, because the film has been so successful, I think that would be fantastic if they did that, but, but essentially I would ask him, in a, um, I would ask him why he broke up that team so quickly, because it, it all happened incredibly quickly to win to win the European Cups. But then from as soon as they were knocked out of Europe in, in the 1980-81 season, in the next maybe three years, that team was just disbanded. And for 10 years or so, they, um, you know, they, had, they had some good seasons. They, they got through to the UEFA Cup semi-final in the mid-80s and they finished third a couple of times. And then later on in his management, they, they got back to when they won a few trophies and had a, a second great team. But, but why did he disband that? Why, why was it disbanded so quickly? Yeah. That is quite the uh, interesting question. Part two <laughs> of this whole thing. Daniel, Daniel, we got to yeah, run. Sorry. I really appreciate okay, it. Okay, no, sorry. My problem. <laughs> oh, no worries, no worries, Daniel. Thank you so much. We're back after this. I could talk about him all day. So thank you. No worries. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> all right. Cheers, Daniel. Cheers. Another huge thank you to Daniel Taylor. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at DTGuardian and check out the book, I Believe in Miracles, written by the aforementioned Daniel Taylor with a foreword by Jose Mourinho. You gotta love it. Thanks to the producer back in San Francisco, Dom Jimenez. Thanks to the gaffer for putting this whole baby together. His name is Chris Harris. My name is Nate Abarea. I will talk to you tomorrow. World Soccer Talk Radio signing off. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.